to give somebody next to you a high five. There we go. So I've got I to be confessional quickly because uh, this may, uh, may affect what happens in the next, like, 25 minutes. Uh, so after first service, you know, my doctor's always changing medication, and I felt a bit shaky and a bit dizzy and kind of, you know, had a, like a hot, hot flash. Uh, so I went outside, which was really nice, and uh, went and got a pr- somebody gave me a protein drink. I said, hey, just drink this. It'll make you feel better. And after I finished it, it says on the front, it has the caffeine of three cups of coffee. Um, so this is going to be a real interesting sermon. It's either going to make a lot of sense or uh, we're just going to end somewhere. So just be, just be ready for any outcome. Uh, <laughs> we are going to take the Lord's Supper today. So, so if I just happen to fall off the front of the stage or go and sit down, just that's the cue to pass this stuff out. And then off we go. Blessings, and, and it'll be great. Uh, okay, I'm going to try to breathe. And if any of you just, you know, like Ross and friends, just tell me that, and I'll try to slow down as we can go. Um, I had a parent-teacher conference um, with my youngest teacher this week. Uh, it wasn't for anything bad. It was just one of those that they offered. And any time they offer those slots to go and talk about your child, I always go because I realize that our children are terrorists, and having most information possible is always helpful. Do you, find, do you feel the same way about your children? A uh, lot of nods, a lot of affirmation today. Um, so I went in, and the teacher did something that was really cool that I thought was nice. She gave what she called the glow and grow report, which I thought, what a nice way before you start insulting the child or insulting the family. But I actually thought this was really good. So uh, as a staff this year, we're going to have the glow and grow uh, evaluations at the end of the year. And they always start off with the good things, don't they? Like, you know, your child's helpful and nice and they're smart and, you know, all that stuff. But we really only want to (laughs) know the grow side, don't we? Well, she needs to ask a few more questions, and she rushes through her work because, you know, she gets it, and off we go. Uh, she's kind of the, the enforcer child in our home. She is, has a high sense of justice. If things are wrong, she is the kid that clotheslines other kids when they're running down the hallway and they shouldn't be. She's like, well, teacher said stop, and she, you know, didn't, so I just, I just stopped them right there. And we're like, yeah, you know, we, it, that's okay. She's the child that we have to, have to kind of talk her down from from like uh, standing up for herself you know the first one we have to talk up hey it's okay for you to stand up for yourself the second one uh is there and we're right at that stage we have you know an 11 year old and an almost nine year old uh, you guys as parents maybe have had this feeling in the past that one of them may not be yours um because like something's gone wrong because we raised them the same and they're just polar opposites of each other which is always very amusing latanya you with me is that how you feel okay good uh, she's the enforcer, and she, she's one that we have to, you know, talk down. So I told the teacher, I said, you know, thank you very much, and uh, went, moved on to the next one, because uh, that's that child. And then the second one, my Ella, our oldest, this is a great uh, great thing. On, on Thursday, they had a time where they could take some money to school, and, you know, they, they have to buy these snacks or whatnot, uh, and it supports a good cause. I think it was maybe the, the, the food bank or something like that. So she had a couple bucks. I gave her, and she had $3.00. And she gets in the car, and she has this story to, to tell. Um, now, Ella cannot tell a story quickly, okay? Uh, maybe just how this story is coming forth today. I wonder where she gets it. But the reality is, so do you guys know what ring pops are? Okay, if you don't know what a ring pop is, then just go to your local gas station. It's right next to the beer. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. It's, it's, uh, it's, on the, it's, on, it's on one of the other sides. But it basically is, is a ring that that is like a lollipop it looks like a little diamond and apparently this is like catnip for the kids so she gets in the car 
And she had taken $3 to school, and she had promised her youngest sister that she would buy her an airhead fruit roll-up or whatever those things are. She gets in the car, and she says, guess what happened today, Dad? And I said, I, I don't know. What, what happened? And she said, people wanted to buy my ring pop from me. They wanted to give me money for the ring pop. And I'm like, that's awesome. She came home. She went to school with $3. She came home with $9. <laughs> okay? That kid is going places, let me tell you. I, I, she thought we'd be mad. She's like, I thought you'd be mad. I'm like, you scalping your friends? No. <laughs> that's amazing. What she should have said is, fuck her. <laughs> no pun intended. Um, but there, some kid paid her five bucks for a ring pop. I'm like, this is awesome. This child's going to do well. And I'm actually kind of, I was so proud of her. I was like, this is, this is good. You're, you're, you're doing good. Do you find maybe sometimes what we do as parents is we often are giving our kids the no-no list all the time. Don't do this. Stop doing this. Don't do this. We don't always focus enough on the good things that they're doing. A- and I think that sometimes even in faith, and I'm going to bring this full circle to the end, but even in faith, sometimes we focus more on, no- on what we're not doing well rather than what, what, what we are doing well. And even in church, growing up in churches, we are, a lot of us grew up in churches that maybe had a very different perspective on what church should look like. And we, we inadvertently or unintentionally gave people the no-no list every single week. I mean, think about growing up in church. What were some of the unacceptable behaviors at your church? If you, and I'm not just talking about at church, but the way that you lived your life. What were things that they were like, you, you, if you're a Christian, you don't do these things? What were they? Just call them out. Wearing pants in church. Yeah, for, for, for women mostly, that was part of it. You had to wear, wear skirts. Well, people dressed up a lot more for church, right? Some of you have put zero effort in for Jesus today. Um, very clear. Uh, now, what else? I mean, you, were, you weren't supposed to drink, right? Or at least you weren't supposed to, you know, if you were going to do it, be discreet and not do it too much. Uh, you know, don't, don't have premarital sex. That's just, you know, the, the worst enemy in the world. Uh, we had a lot of different things that, you know, you've got to just stay away from these things. And we, what we told people is faith is defined by the rules only. If you follow enough good rules and you stay away from enough bad things, then God will love you and you'll be good enough. And all of us grew up feeling good enough, right? No. We came to church, and if you'd had a rough weekend with your friends, you came in going, oh, today's going to be a rough one. And we would leave feeling riddled with guilt, feeling like we're, we're not good enough for anybody else or any, anything else. And I think that what we haven't done in churches is we've guilted people so much, we haven't inspired people to live into the story of faith. You know, one of the things that I brought up last week, and I want to just flesh out a little bit more this week so that you understand maybe where I'm coming from. It's a mo- I'm going to call this kind of a moment of critique. I'm going to critique myself, and you can do the same. There is a big difference between evangelism and pastoring. People often think that a pastor does both of these things, and some do both. But evangelism is tied to a moment of making a decision for God in your life, right? This is how a lot of our sermons in churches. Now, today you need to give your life to the Lord. And I believe that that is very important and very powerful, and it's a decision that everybody needs to make at some point. But I will tell you that my own preference is more on the side of pastoring. Now, you say, well, aren't those the same thing? And and in some ways they are, but in other ways they're not. I am big about moments of salvation that people have, but I am more interested in transformation. That's kind of the, the difference between these things. There is a difference between a moment of being saved and 
being transformed into something new. There is a, a difference between these two things. You see, I think sometimes what we unfortunately do is we have these big revivals or these evangelism things or, or, or you know, crusades or whatever we want to call them, and thousands upon thousands of people come and they say, I'm going to give my life to the Lord. But if you look 10 years later, very few of them have actually become engaged in a church or are living into the discipleship model. Because that is easy. This is hard. And when you are a pastor, if you want to grow your church, you need to be high evangelism because that will grow your church. But if you want your church to grow spiritually, you need to be a pastor and go deep with people. If you came to church now in five years, you should be a part of a group. You should be attending. You should be leading. You should be serving. You should be giving. Those are all transformation things, and they are costly and annoying because people don't want to listen. Evangelism is easy. Come to, come to the Lord. Come to the Lord. Now, I'm not dismissing that. And the reason why I need to be reminded, hey, I need, to, I need to offer the gospel more for people. Hey, if you haven't made a decision for God, you need to make a decision. I am a proponent of that. But I'm interested in how God changes us and shifts us. You see, if, if I ask you at our church maybe other critiques that you might have, and I just want you to know I'm not some wildflower. You can come and tell me, hey, I think we can do this better, and I will receive that. I'm not going to get mad at you. I'll probably use you as a bad example in a sermon and throw you under the bus that way. But you can tell me if there's something you'd like to see happen here a lot more. People are like, we'd like you to preach more on the end times. Actually, I'm going to do that next week. It's in Thessalonians. I'm going to save it up for next week. So if you're not here, tough luck, okay? Listen to it online. Other things that people often say is this. I wish we did more things together as a church because I don't know everyone, right? That's, that's true. One of the problems is we have a space problem. I know not in here, but if you walk through our building, there's no big enough space for all of us to gather. Now, we have some plans. We're going to build some space here in the new year. I've been talk, we've been talking a little bit about it. We're finally getting to the end of architects. They're the most annoying people in the world because they just don't know what deadlines mean. But the reality is we've got some plans to have some big space. But let me tell you the problem. People say, well, the church needs to create an environment that we talk to each other, that we get to know each other. Okay, here's the thought. Because if we do have a big event, it'll be great. The problem is you'll still sit with all the people that you're probably sitting with right now, and you won't get to know anybody else. H here's an idea. Join a group. Maybe sit in a different spot at church. Don't just walk in and sit down and get up and leave and go, I don't know anybody there. Get off your rear and go and meet someone else. Okay, yeah, thank you. <laughs> Although you sit in the same place every week too. Um, but, but isn't that true? Listen, I'm, I'm, I'm all for we can have big events where people can meet each other. But are you willing to go and meet somebody else? Are you willing to go maybe come to a different service, sit in a different spot, meet new people, make an effort? There, there are a lot of things that at our church we can do a lot better. But a lot of those things you can do as well. And remember, sometimes people come and they say, I've got this idea for what we need to be in church. I welcome those all day as long as you realize one thing. You will be the prime volunteer on that. You say, I think we should start a community garden. Guess what? Grab a shovel. Okay? You're in charge. And, and that's not what people want. People want things done for them. But there is this idea, this concept, that as we read Scripture, there, let's talk about living into our faith. Not just believing our faith, but living into our faith. You know, all of us in this room, we already know what we're supposed to do. The problem is not knowing. I, this is the conversation I have with my kids. You need to not do this and not do this. And they go, I know. 
Yeah, the problem is not you knowing. The problem is you're not doing. It's not, the rubber is not meeting the road. And you want to argue with me because intellectually you understand something, but that's not taking shape in your life. That's what parenting is, moving from knowing to doing. And, and so a lot of us have this idea. We know what the, I mean, I hate to be cheesy, but the kind of the yes, yes list is in our life. We, we know what we should do. The problem is not knowing, not knowing it. The problem is not doing it. And this is something that everybody in this room struggles with. Everyone in this room knows more things they should do than they actually do, right? The problem is just do more of the things we know we should do. Now listen to what the writers say to the Thessalonian church, because this is, this is kind of the big deal. He says this in chapter 4. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now, most of the writers of the New Testament say, we've instructed you on how to live. The problem is you're not doing it. They're one of the few churches that actually is doing it. Now, it doesn't tell us what they're doing, but it tells them they're living into whatever they've been told to live into. Now, we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. You can hear the language of continued transformation here. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. Now, it doesn't tell us what instructions, but if we're a Christian and we're part of a church, we get it. We kind of know what we're called to do. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. We're going to talk about that word in a second. That you should avoid sexual immorality. That each of you should learn to control your own body. This is one of the problems they seem to be having at the church. In a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust, just like the pagans who do not know God. And that in this matter, no one can bring wrong, uh, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or a sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. He's saying, listen, the Holy Spirit's in you. The problem is you're not letting it have more control in your life. You're still too much in control of your life. Drop down to the latter part of verse 10. It says, yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business, Toad, get off Facebook, and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders, and so that you will not be dependent on anyone. What he is calling them here, he's saying, listen, you need to realize and recognize that faith is about dependence on God. We make faith too much about what we think it should be, rather than what it actually is. When you are a person of faith, you start your day by saying, God, it's you. You have the biggest part of my life. You have the most important part of my life. And I need you to get through the day. I know we talk about faith being personal. And, and that's not a bad thing. We all have our own faith journey and faith experience. But the common denominator for all of us is that we are dependent on God. And we've got to start there or we can lose it. Faith is also about action by us. On our part, we need, to, we need to live into our faith. We need to act on our faith. I think sometimes we look at God, and God is pouring down all this idea of faith, and we're going, I know, I know. And he goes, the problem is not you knowing. The problem is you doing. 
stepping into it. I want a closer walk with God. Well, then maybe you need to, need, need to spend time in the Word. I know. You know, I want God to lead more of my decisions. Then maybe you need to start with prayer. Oh, I know. And God's like, I know you know. <laughs> the problem is you're not doing it. Another thing that's said in this text that's not said a lot in the Bible is that faith is also about the approval of others. Which we always think, no, faith is about me being approved before God. It's not about you. Paul says the exact opposite here. He says the way that you live out in faith and that people tell you you live into faith is a litmus for what your faith is. Because if people look at you, have you ever had this, you know, people say, oh, I go to church, but this, that person goes to church? That's not a good thing. Some people need to go, hey, I, I know that they imperfectly live into this faith story, but I see them trying. I see them living into it. That's the problem with all of us. Now, there are these great church words. Now, this is just a nerd alert for you. There's these great church words that I really don't use a lot, even though I talk about the concepts of these pretty often. And, and we might know what a few of these are. Uh, justification is a legal term that means debts are paid. And when we come to Christ, debts are paid. We're, we're even. We, we're not, you know, we, we don't owe this, this mortgage to God, that we are on the, on the same playing field as everybody else. There's this idea of consecration, which is what they used to do with sacrifices. It's about bringing the good and the bad and giving it to God and getting rid of some of it. So when you lay down difficulties in your life, God will take those, but he won't take them out of your hands. You have to give them up first. And this leads us to transformation or a fancy word to say we are being changed as we go through this process of knowing that we are God's saved people and we're willing to give things up and take new things on, it will change us, which leads us to a life of sanctification. That's really a fancy word. It means the same as holy. It means that we, we do things differently, that we separate part of our life. When, when we are not in faith, our marriages look one way, but when we are, our marriages look different. It changes things about us and ultimately glorification is we all go to heaven or we you know the resurrection this is all the language of when you're doing well there is this approval that comes in the midst of it mostly from from god what this means is this faith results in transformation by sanctification what that means is the more that we change the more separate that our lives become and it's actually a cyclical thing because the more separate our lives become the more that we are changed and the more that we are changed, the more separate that our lives become. And we start living our lives in different ways. That's a powerful thing that God does when, when we are people of faith. This is why the Bible says, in faith we become a new creation. Not just a renovated creation, not just a better version of ourselves. That God actually changes us, that over time we are something completely new. There's something powerful about that. Because really... I know me pretty well. I don't just want a new, renovated version of myself. I need a new version. I need, I need a new me. And that's what God does as we go down this path. Sometimes it's, it's one of those things that you wake up one day and you realize, I'm not the same person I used to be. That's God. That means you've lived into your faith. When people say, you know, you're not the same. It's not me. I mean, I'm trying. But it's God who does these things. What I thought we could do today, you know, we're going to take the Lord's Supper today, which we do, uh, we always offer it, but we take it together. The Lord's Supper is kind of a personal glow and grow ritual. 
that everybody has to do. Like you have to decide. You first of all have to receive the goodness of God and realize that God has has paid everything for you. But the Lord's Supper should remind us or tell us that we have value. God says you're valuable. You're a big deal. You're not just nothing. You're something. And you were worth everything. And maybe sometimes we just need to hear that. Maybe we need to hear God's affirmation that says, hey, I matter. In a world that tells us we don't, people hand out criticism far more than they hand out compliments. But hopefully you'll hear God's God's voice today, God's presence that says, you matter to me. You're valuable. I'll give anything for you. And then maybe there's that grow side that we've got to examine and go, you know, there's some things I can do better. I need to stop blaming everybody else for why something's going on or not going on in my life. Maybe I should say, hey, I can do better with some of these things. And it's a, it's a, it's a pledge. We receive affirmation from God and we commit to a new life. Hey, you know what, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to give you more of my day. I'm going to try to be a little bit more faithful spending time with you. I'm going to try to try to live this out in my home, at my job. I'm going to complain less this week. I'm going to try to see value in those people around me. It's just a beautiful moment. And I don't know that we always hear affirmation from God. We, we should be inspired to live into faith, not guilted into it. The Lord's Supper is a beautiful moment of sharing. Now, I know I've got some people that are going to serve that. If you guys want to make your way down to the, down to the front. Um, and we're also going to have some people that, that are available to pray. They'll kind of be at the back. Sometimes, sometimes we have people come forward. Sometimes we have people go to the back. It doesn't really matter. If you want to come down and pray, if you want to just take a moment. I want you to just hear some affirmation from God today. I want you to hear that you are valuable and good and that you're doing okay not a moment to just kind of beat, beat yourself up and say, look how terrible I am and I can't get, anything, can't get anything right, so why should I try? It's just a moment to say, hey, listen, I'm going to receive God's goodness and God's value and I'm going to define my life by that. And then as I leave this place today, I'm going to try to lay some things down, I'm going to consecrate a few things and step into the life that God has. I'm going to try to do more this week rather than know more this week. God will meet you in those places. You know, I do not have the power to change myself. Small things, maybe. But the big things have to come from Him. Sometimes this is just a moment to let our lives be a blank check to God's people. So Father, today as we share in the body and the blood, may it just be a redemptive moment for us. May we remember that we are saved. May we remember that we are broken, but may we also remember that you were broken so that we might find life. And maybe when we admit our own brokenness, that we become vessels that you can resurrect. God, we just pray today that maybe we are carrying guilt or shame. But God, may we know that your mercies are new every morning. Your faithfulness is great. 
when we submit our lives to his kingdom. So, Father, as we receive the sacrifice of communion today, may we also be willing to lay some of ourselves down and take up your purpose and your kingdom. And God, please take Jesus as we transform our lives. Bless us as we share in the body and blood of